The following program may contain coarse language, violence, nudity, mature subject matter, or scenes which may not be suitable for all viewers. Viewer discretion is advised. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Exxon. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. On the web, www.exxonradiotv.com. On social media sites, Exxon Radio TV. And you can always send your emails to exxon at exxonradiotv.com. Well, let's see. In the last hour, we were speaking to uh, Jim Gilchrist, who is the gentleman who is the founder and president of the Minuteman Project that is trying to get some semblance of... Well, let's see. He just wants somebody to protect the the border between the United States and Canada. And he figures, well, if the government's not going to do it, I'm going to get my posse and away we go. So, Jim, good luck to you and to all the other citizens who are picking up the cause. It reminds me of the olden days when, you know, the sheriff got the posse and they went after the bad guy. Explanation, my guest this hour is Ryan Morrow. He is the National Security Analyst for the Clarion Project. Their website is clarionproject.org, which uh, produced the hit films Obsession, The Third Jihad, and Iranium. Now, uh, Ryan is a frequent analyst on Fox News Channel and other news media outlets around the world. He is also a consultant to government agencies and an adjunct professor. Ryan was originally hired in 2002 at the age of 16 to be a geopolitical analyst for the Tactical Defense Concepts, a maritime-related security group. His analysis and research has been widely published in places at various places uh, like Front Page Magazine, PJ Media, and the peer-reviewed journal Middle East Quarterly. He has made over 1,000 appearances on radio and television from both the left and the right. This is what I love about this guy. In June 2012, the Muslim Brotherhood's official English-language Twitter page sent out a tweet calling him delusional and a scaremonger. Joining me now is Ryan Morrow. And Ryan, welcome to the X-Zone. Hey, thanks for having me. I've got to ask you, how did you get the title of a, let me see, what do they call you, delusional and a scaremonger? This is coming from the Muslim <laughs> Brotherhood. Right. So it's actually a compliment. Yeah. Basically what happened there is another outlet translated an Arabic media report mm-hmm. saying that the Muslim Brotherhood was having secret meetings in Egypt after they took over electorally uh, to discuss how to implement Sharia law. 
And I reported on the fact that someone else translated that and the details that were contained inside, so I wasn't even the individual who broke the story or made the initial allegations. But apparently after I wrote about it, it got distributed enough among Egyptians to warrant the Muslim Brotherhood's attention. And they were very upset by it, uh, upset enough to actually call me out by name on Twitter mm-hmm. uh, to say that I'm delusional and a scaremonger and to deny the report and only when very shortly after, uh, what did they do? They started implementing Sharia law. So that just shows exactly how deceptive this organization is. Um, But for Americans, when we think of people that are very religious, very devout, uh, we don't think of liars. But for Islamists, those that combine their faith with political doctrine, uh, such type of deception is just par for the course. Ryan, do you think the fact that you're a security, a national security analyst, had something to do with them calling you out? Because, you know, they, they, were, they were gunning after a big guy here. Well, I mean, I don't think of myself as a, as a big guy. I think what happened was is that uh, there were Egyptians who appreciated my writings mm-hmm. against the Muslim Brotherhood, warning about what was coming on, and they took the ball and they ran with it. Um, so I think that the credit really goes to those Egyptians and those that um, are talking in the Arabic yeah. media as opposed to me. Today, the controversy still is going hot and heavy about the beheading of a second American. ISIS is saying they're going to decapitate a British subject. We have President, uh, let me see, we have President Obama in, where is he in now? Is he in the United Kingdom? And did he, has he left uh, Ukraine? I think he did. I'm not sure, to be honest yeah. with you. And uh, mind you, Joe Biden, where the heck did he get the kahunis from? He said, and this is a quote, we will follow ISIS to the gates of hell because that is, that's where they reside. <laughs> you see, that's amazing. That's what needs to be said. Exactly. Uh, because I was listening to clips today where President Obama was talking about the beheading of the second American, uh-huh. and he's been using this soft diplomatic language for so long that he, he can't break out of it anymore. And you even saw this during the campaign in 2012. That spark wasn't there from Obama in 2008, and now it's actually affecting our national security. Because when mm-hmm. you listen to his tone, it was not intimidating. It was not passionate. It sounded like he was running on two hours of sleep. And it just was not the type of tone that the world needs to hear, that we need to hear, and that ISIS supporters need to hear. So I'm glad that Vice President Biden stood up and he made a comment like that because it was very much needed. It sure was. Um, You know, this is the big difference, as I see it, between Russia and the United States. Number one, President Obama's a politician first, whereas in Russia, Putin... He's a warrior. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break in two minutes with our very special guest this hour, Ryan Morrow, who is the National Security Analyst for the Clarion Project. Their website is www.clarionproject.org. Ryan and I will be back on the other side of this two-minute commercial break. Don't go away. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. 
Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Named one of the world's greatest psychics, Elizabeth Joyce is now giving readings worldwide via Skype. Elizabeth Joyce is recognized for her clairvoyant ability to help find missing persons, her analysis of dreams, past life regression work, mediumship, and her accurate predictions. Elizabeth has been a frequent guest on the Exxon radio show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, now for several years. For an appointment with Elizabeth Joyce, call 201-934-8986 or Skype at elizabeth.joyce. And for more information, you can always visit Elizabeth Joyce online at www.new-visions.com. Welcome back, everyone. Ryan Morrow is our special guest, www.clarionproject.org. Ryan, uh, what do you think happened to Joe Biden? Why do you think that he came out so strong and and said what the American public needed to hear? Shouldn't this have been the the statement coming from the, the head honcho, uh, President uh, Obama? Oh, without a doubt, because when President Obama talks, all of the media... Uh, report it. So even if he delivers it uh, when he seems to be falling asleep yeah. and without passion, even if he delivers a statement that's strong in writing, um, that can do a lot of good. He hasn't even done that. As for Biden, I think he's just genuine. I think he was genuinely outraged. It's yeah. possible he also heard the same clips of Obama that I heard and said, man, I need to step it up. Uh, but what I've been saying is, is that we need right now to hear a little bit more of a, of a tough guy that says to ISIS passionately, you killed two of Americans, and now is the time in your history uh, that will record that your downfall began. Yep. You know, some, some language like that so that you can take away their narrative that America is weak, look at their president, and we are the strong ones. And Vice President Biden's statement was stronger than the one I recommended. Yeah, and he said once again, Exonation, we'll follow ISIS to the gates of hell because that's where they reside. Wow. Powerful stuff. Let me ask you this. Is it possible that Joe Biden will be on the ticket, uh, the presidential ticket, in two more years? What is it, in uh, 2016? You have your next presidential elections? The gossip in the D.C. circles, which I get somewhat exposed to, and it's Mm -hmm. the most gossipy place on earth, um, pretty much everybody agrees that he wants to run very badly. Um, But the big question is Hillary. I mean, obviously, if she runs, then everyone else gets pushed aside. Uh, Her lead in in the Democratic primary is far beyond anything that she had even in 2008 when Obama ended up defeating her. Um, But but there's still some people who think Hillary isn't going to run. Uh, So who knows how this plays out? Well, how do you think Hillary would have handled the ISIS uh, affair, considering that a lot of people still blame her for Benghazi? Right. Well, 
if based on people I've talked to who are connected with the White House, and mm-hmm. also a lot of this has come out in recent interviews, Hillary is much more of a strategic thinker. And right from the beginning, she was saying to President Obama that you don't have the option of ignoring what's happening in Syria because that situation is going to explode and it's going to affect everything else in the region. What she was referring to is the fact that there's a civil war in Syria behind, between the dictatorship of Bashar Assad, who supports terrorism, mm-hmm. uh, he's helped kill American soldiers, and he's an ally of Iran, bad guy, uh, and rebels who are now led by radical Islamic forces connected to al-Qaeda and ISIS. There are much weaker, more moderate forces on the ground that have asked for U.S. assistance from the beginning that are increasingly falling behind in power against ISIS and al-Qaeda just because they have no outside help. And Hillary, according to the reports and her own claims, right from the beginning was saying to President Obama, eventually you're going to need someone you can work with Mm -hmm. on the ground in Syria to combat the jihadists, and you can't miss this opportunity. If, If Hillary was to get into the White House, would it be beneficial having Bill Clinton, a former president, in the office of the sitting president? Like, wouldn't that mean the Americans are getting double, uh, you know, getting two for the price of one? Sure, purely from the the angle of experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't beat that. The experience criteria is marked off multiple times over. Um, and, and Bill Clinton, and uh, obviously I disagree with some things Hillary Clinton has done, as sure. Bill Clinton has done, as I do with any politician. Uh, but when the uh, people were being killed because of how the Quran was being treated, um, it was going to be burned, uh, Bill Clinton said something very interesting and insightful uh, that the media didn't really report on. And what he said was is that our response should be uh, that this is a product of a shame-based culture, he identified the fact that the root cause is culture, not anything we're doing, right. and that the Muslim world has to believe that their God and their religion is strong enough to withstand people criticizing their holy book and burning it. I mean, that's a great statement to make. Uh, so who knows what a future Clinton administration would look like, but I was impressed by that statement by Bill Clinton. As everyone knows, there were the videos that were taken of the beheadings of of the two Americans uh, that that basically went around the world, not only on YouTube, but on mainstream media. But according to some sources, Ryan, it says that this is starting to backfire because, and this is uh, from uh, Beirut, the AFP, brutal beheadings recorded on video by the jihadist Islamic State are intended to terrorize the group's enemies, but are also angering and alienated the Muslims the group claims to represent. Right. And the reason that's happening is because of a few different reasons. Uh, you beheaded a, an innocent American, mm-hmm. um, and that just doesn't play well even among some people that, that hate us. They say that's just going too far. Yeah. It's not an American soldier. Uh, then they did it very brutally, um, it, particularly in this latest video. It was just very horrifying to watch. Um, and it, it doesn't play well. And the, the reason we know that there's a backlash is because years ago, Al-Qaeda was telling its operatives in Iraq, cut out the beheadings, it's counterproductive. Mm-hmm. There's Muslims that support you, and it's turning them against us. Speaking about the beheadings, is it possible that the two who were beheaded are actually still alive, that this was nothing else but a big put-on? Uh, there's no chance of that. All, all the sources, um, all the credible sources mm-hmm. are confirming that this is 
uh, as depicted, unfortunately. Uh, But one comment in regards to how we cover this, uh, the media has this delicate balancing act, right, where they have to report on this, but you don't want to advance the ISIS propaganda, and that's the topic of my latest article at Clarion Project. And it's a point I want to emphasize. The way you can do that is you have to report on it. And I think it's important for the world to see some of these images so that they understand how serious this is. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to advance ISIS, uh, their propaganda, and their declaration of victory. The way you do that is you point to two things. Number one, the polls showing a major political shift among the American people, that this is strengthening our resolve and not scaring us. Include that as part of the coverage. And secondly, include what's happening on the ground in Iraq as part of that coverage, that while ISIS is using this video to claim strength and that they're having victory on the ground, they're actually got kicked out of the dam in Mosul that they captured and were very proud of, and they've had to retreat from several other areas. Include that as part of the narrative, and I think that's a balanced, uh, responsible presentation. Well, as far as the social media aspect of it, you know, how is the internet and the and the handheld devices? Is that working pro their cause or against their cause? It's definitely working for their cause, but it, on a broader level, what you're seeing is a generational evolution in the jihadist world, because Bin Laden and Al Qaeda type terrorists were viewed as Puritans. They didn't want much to do with Western culture, especially American entertainment, because it's viewed as a source of corruption and sin, so you run away from it. What the next generation is doing, and this is part of the reason that ISIS is so popular, is that they've adopted Western entertainment and culture, and they've reconciled that with their radical Islamic beliefs. So when I look at what they're talking about online, they're they're using American movies, they're talking about video games at the same time as declaring jihad. Wow. So what they're doing is they're trying to use Western techniques in order to bring people over to their cause? That's part of it. Part of it is by design. But I believe a lot of this is also genuine. I think that they genuinely enjoy rap to the point that they make music videos. Uh They like talking about things like the Call of Duty video game. I saw one guy complaining about no one bringing him Krispy Kreme. I think all of that is genuine, that they have reconciled their affection for some parts of Western culture and entertainment with their belief that they need to institute Sharia governance. And so they've bridged that gap so that Muslims don't have to say, well, if I have to choose between American culture and the things I love or this uh, purified version of my religion, I might be more attracted to side with um, America or at least go away from the radical ideology. What the Islamic State is doing is they're saying it's okay to enjoy some of those things. It's okay to be sarcastic and even curse online. Uh, But you have to be committed to jihad and Sharia governance, and you can reconcile those two things. And that appeals to Muslims in the West uh, that are radical and are struggling with that identity crisis. As of today, another 350 military members are being deployed to the Middle East. This brings the total to over 1,000. Is this the start of boots on the ground? I don't believe so. I think that President Obama is is serious when he says we're not going to get an on-the-ground military offenses against mm-hmm. ISIS. 
Um, politically, only 30% of Americans support that, um, although the case hasn't been made for it, so those numbers could shift. And also, I think ISIS would celebrate that. Because even if an American soldier goes in and kills 100 ISIS uh, terrorists, mm -hmm. if they're able to kill or kidnap one American soldier, that's worth a lot to them. So I think that they would welcome that. But technically, the soldiers that have been deployed to protect American personnel and our diplomatic facilities, they are combat soldiers. If they're attacked, they're going to fight. That's a combat experience. But by combat soldiers, what President Obama is referring to is actually putting together a, a battalion that goes in, clears out an area, and fights ISIS directly. So how do you justify what Joe Biden said today about following ISIS to the gates of hell if you're not going to put boots on the ground? Well, there's different ways uh, to go after ISIS, and it all comes with a cost. Mm -hmm. um, every single action. For example, when we bomb ISIS... That also costs a lot of money. It's possible that plane may malfunction and the pilot could be killed. Um, so you have to weigh costs and benefits. And at this stage, I think that the cost of sending in American soldiers is not worth uh, the, the possible result, uh, especially because American military forces in the air, special forces raids, advisors, and covert operations can do a lot of damage to ISIS, and the best example of that is what the drone campaign has done to al-Qaeda in Pakistan. We didn't have to invade Pakistan, but through special operations and through drone strikes, we have done them serious damage. We may have done them serious damage, but are we talking about the same caliber of fighter that we're talking about when we talk about ISIS? Are we talking about apples and apples, or are we talking about apples and bananas? I would say that they're very similar, okay. um, because uh, ISIS has eclipsed al-Qaeda in their military capabilities, uh, in terms of their arms, their training. They have actual battle experience in Syria. So right now, it is, they are tougher than al-Qaeda. But al-Qaeda was once tougher than it currently is. I don't see why the same strategy couldn't be mm -hmm. used, especially when you look at the videos and the pictures of, of ISIS they tell us where they are, basically. They, they have gigantic black flags. Yeah. They're very often in deserts. Okay, uh, I so hate to do this, Ryan. Target them. Ryan, we've got to take our news break. Please stand by. Ryan Morrow is our special guest, clarionproject.org, and we'll be back on the other side of the news. Hi, this is Rob McConnell, just letting you know that the X Chronicles newspaper is now available online at www.xzonebookclub.com. All past editions and current editions of the X Chronicles newspaper are available for 99 cents. That's www.xzonebookclub.com, and that's 99 cents U.S. per edition. And don't forget, the X Zone store is now open as well for all of your X Zone Nation merchandise www.thexzonestore.com Do you have a disease that you would like to alleviate through a natural means? Have you been contacted by angels, ghosts, or even extraterrestrials and want to validate these experiences? Or would you simply like to speak with someone who can help you find your life's purpose? I'm Dr. Joseph Mara, and I'm offering my services free of charge for first-time clients 
contacting me during the month of April. These free consultations include angel card readings, guided meditations, life coaching, and energy healing. If you have always wanted to explore these types of experiences but were skeptical or simply could not afford them, then take advantage of this free special offer. Contact me through my website, aguidinglight, spelled L-I-T-E, dot com, to schedule your consultation today. Until then, I offer you love, light, and laughter. Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My guest this hour is Ryan Morrow, www.clarionproject.org. And Ryan is the National Security Analyst for Clarion Project, uh, which produced the hit films Obsession, The Third Jihad, and Iranium. Once again, clarionproject.org. During the commercial break with the news, Ryan, you you and I were talking about uh, the PR aspect that uh, ISIS seems to be very familiar with. And you were giving me some examples uh, about soldiers with kittens, soldiers with... Oh, well, are they soldiers? Oh, let's, let's well, me, let me rephrase it. They're Terror, terrorists, yeah. but see, ISIS, they're, in terms of their PR potential, no matter how good they are mm-hmm. at it, uh, they're not going to be terribly successful because they're still beheading innocent people on camera, massacring Muslims, and even some of the more extreme elements of the Muslim world, like the Muslim Brotherhood, mm-hmm. are condemning them. So they're going to have limited success. Uh, but considering how evil they are, they're, ha- they're doing a good job with PR. When you look at what they're doing online, uh, they're tweeting out a lot of pictures of them hanging out with kittens, sometimes with dogs, engaging in charity, giving food out to people. One of their big things lately is to tweet out pictures of Mosul and other areas of Iraq and Syria that's under their control to show that life is basically normal and functioning and happy. And what one big mistake that they learned from al-Qaeda, um, and they le- also learned this from Hamas and Hezbollah, who are successful in this area that I'm about to describe, it's they've actually created a state. See, they're not just going in and kicking out Iraqi forces and then just unleashing tyranny. They actually are going in, not firing the local workers, not destroying the local banks. They want to show that their ver- version of an Islamic state uh, is functional, and is viable. And that's a very powerful message to send, to show that the infrastructure is still working and that this is a realistic goal. I was listening to a couple of newscasters today, and um, one of them was asking a member of the military, uh, what are the chances of ISIS coming over to the United States and taking, bringing the fight to the homeland? And this military advisor basically said it's 50-50. Right. I think it's higher. And the reason is because uh, you have about 2.75 million Muslims in the United States, Mm -hmm. the vast majority of which want nothing to do with ISIS. But as we learned with the Boston Marathon bombings, you only need a few people with access to the Internet and a devotion to the cause to do some serious damage and to create quite the scene. And so we already had the Fort Hood shooter recently uh, swore allegiance to ISIS. So it's very conceivable that you could have an ISIS sympathizer here in the United States 
that isn't even in direct contact with the ISIS command, and he says, I'm going to retaliate on behalf of ISIS. According to intelligence officials that are going unnamed, up to 300 Americans have already joined ISIS in Iraq and Syria, gone overseas. Um, so that raises the question of how many sympathizers remain here and haven't right. actually gone over. And by the way, that number of over 300 Americans going to ISIS's ranks overseas that's far beyond anything that al-Qaeda or the Taliban ever achieved. How do they get the money from uh, from overseas to the accounts of these people that they're giving the money to to come over to, uh, to their part of the world without being picked up or, or tracked by any of the security agencies? Well, a lot of them, unfortunately, uh, do not have the records that lead to them being monitoring. So if they're getting small bank transactions uh. from overseas... Uh, that, that's not going to be picked up because you can't monitor every financial transaction. Uh, over Overseas, there's a lot of racketeering. Uh, they're selling oil illegally on the black market. Uh, they're kidnapping people, holding them for ransom. And also, ISIS has also become a very wealthy organization just by taking over territory, taking over pieces of infrastructure and getting money that way and shaking people down. And if they ever run low on cash, they have a lot of banks under their control with potentially billions of dollars in Iraq that they can raid and go into. So money right now is not a problem for them, and money has been a problem for al-Qaeda. That also doesn't take into account that ISIS probably has some donors in the Gulf with a lot of money that are helping them out. Is there any estimate on how much each one of these Americans who go over to fight with ISIS are getting paid? It's a few hundred dollars a month if you become a member of ISIS, uh, from what I've read. Um, they believe that it, in a welfare system, they believe in Sharia law, but that welfare is part of it. And so yeah. if you join, you get a, an automatic salary. Uh, but we're just talking about hundreds of dollars a month. Um, and in addition, you can also do side work because there still are stores operating and, and restaurants. And it doesn't take, take much money to get someone from the United States to buy a passport and go over there because, unsurprisingly, flight tickets to places like Iraq and Syria are quite cheap. Really? <laughs> With everything that's going on, you've got to have really cheap plane tickets. Now, wouldn't this be a, a, a flag-waving caution, a red flag for for the for the members of the uh, the immigration services or the or once again the intelligence agency when they see uh, a guy getting on one of these planes with a cheap ticket like hello Do, are they asked where they're going what they're doing how they intend on supporting themselves while they're overseas well especially if you're an american citizen you can you can't really ask those questions it, it, it's basically viewed as not being the government's business because otherwise you're just picking out someone that's a Muslim that's going over to a Muslim country without evidence for you to make those type of suggestions. A lot of them are going over to Europe and then they go over to Turkey and then they, cr they cross the border that way. And so there's a lot of flights going back and forth between the U.S. and Europe, between the U.S. and Turkey. That's a very common occurrence. So it's not abnormal for the authorities to encounter someone that's taking that same exact flight path. Uh, they just happen to have a different ultimate destination that they don't disclose, or that they don't, yeah, that they don't disclose. So, so you mean the authorities cannot, on reasonable and probable grounds, detain the person, check out their story before they're, before they're allowed to go on their merry way? Uh, they cannot. They have to have information from within the system. They have to be on the no-fly list. 
Uh, there has to be some type of intelligence wow. shared uh, saying that you need to watch out for this specific person, or they have to do something really stupid in the airport that warrants that type of attention. Because like I said, uh, flights of Americans going to somewhere like Turkey are mm-hmm. very common. I was wondering if you could tell us about the JUF, who they are and what they do. This is a very interesting organization that I've followed closely for clarionproject.org and broken a number of stories about. JUF is Jamaat al-Fukra. They operate in the United States with the name Muslims of the Americas, so they, they sound uh, much more accepting than they actually are. Mm-hmm. The cleric that they follow, who they view as a representative of God, whose every word is to be followed, is named Sheikh Mubarak Jalani, and he resides in Pakistan. Uh, This organization has bought up private land to develop communes uh, that are sometimes dozens of acres large, including their 70-acre compound in New York State called Islamburg. So this is a very radical organization. We know that they've had a history of terrorist attacks, violence, criminal activity, and most startlingly, I released a video that I obtained from a law enforcement source showing the women at Islamburg dressed in military fatigue, marching in military formation, firing guns into a lake, and practicing combat with knives and swords, including how to cut throats. Uh, Sheikh Jalani, in an earlier video uh, from decades ago, explicitly stated that the purpose of these communes across the U.S. was for guerrilla warfare training. Is this the only compound that, uh, that is like this in the United States with a name of Islamburg? Doesn't this raise any suspicions? Oh, it raises suspicions, um, especially when the neighbors report the gunfire. But according to this organization, uh, this organization says that they have 22 of what they call Islamic villages across the U.S. The Clarion Project caused quite a stir earlier this year when, based on the classified FBI documents we obtained, uh, we identified one such camp near Sweeney in Texas. The so-called holiest site of this organization is located in York County, South Carolina, but they also have sites in in Georgia, in Virginia. They say they even have one near Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, So it's 22 spread out across the country according to their own numbers, and the reason they can do this is because most of what they do is legal. It's legal to buy private land and believe in radical things and to train in guerrilla warfare. They may be watched by the FBI. They may be investigated but they cannot be shut down for those activities uh, as things currently stand until legislation changes that. Unbelievable. So here we have the possibility of a terrorist training camp smack dab in the middle of the homeland, 22 of them. And they can do that? How can they be shut down? It's really remarkable, especially when you go to our website and you look at the FBI documents that say this is a group that's engaged in terrorism and retains the capability for a terrorist campaign. So the FBI knows how bad these guys are, so why aren't they shut down is a reasonable question to ask. The reason is because of a technicality. The State Department has viewed them as a domestic organization. Even though their main leader is in Pakistan, they are viewed as a domestic group, and therefore they're treated differently, and they are mostly American citizens. If they were labeled as a foreign terrorist organization, like Hezbollah or Hamas, Mm -hmm. it becomes illegal to operate in the United States and illegal for anyone in the U.S. to provide them with material support, and the camps are shut down. So 
Nothing can be done until they are either reclassified by the State Department or they commit a criminal offense. That's precisely right. Congress could pass a bill um, prompting the Treasury Department to do things, um, prompting the State Department to reclassify them. So there can be congressional action, uh, but they cannot be shut down or even raided as a whole until that designation changes. If the police and the FBI learn of specific proof of specific illegal activity by an individual member, will they arrest them? Sure. They've done that in the past for things like counterfeiting or murder or Mm -hmm. drug running uh, or these other various crimes. But they cannot go into these camps and search all of the trailers and find out what's going inside. Only in America. Isn't democracy great? (laughs) Like, <laughs> democracy is wonderful, and, but we are willing to trade uh, some yeah. of our security for the freedoms we cherish. Do you think we're, we're too politically correct? Yes, I, I think that we are arguably uh, not free enough. I think that we should always err on the side of, of freedom, um, but at the same time, we are also very politically correct. Uh, so organizations like this are not high up on the radar, and very often there are people who even appear as commentators in media, as governmental advisors that are Islamists, mm-hmm. they are radical, they support the Muslim Brotherhood, sometimes even support Hamas. Uh, but if you call them out, all they have to do is round up their buddies and call you an Islamophobe, an anti-Muslim bigot. And even if that charge is outrageous, the media and other people will run away from you because they don't want to be caught up in that battle. And so these same organizations that are radicals themselves are Mm -hmm. pressuring agencies like the FBI not to even use terms like Islamist or Islamic terrorism or radical Islam or even to go to Muslims that disagree with the radicals as trainers. That sounds unbelievable, uh, but it's all been proven by published documents by the Department of Homeland Security and by the mainstream media. Sounds like the uh, the patients are running in the nuthouse. In some ways, they are, because these Islamist organizations, particularly ones like the Council on American-Islamic Relations, the Islamic Society of North America, powerful Muslim-American organizations in the U.S., have links to the Muslim Brotherhood and a history of extremism, despite their moderate presentation. And because of their political capital that they have, by pretending to be moderates, they're able to pressure the U.S. government to their will. Speaking about uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, I understand that they may have the ability to influence policy. They do. And that's because, uh, well, first of all, this is often deemed as conspiracy theory, but let's back up and think about this. Virtually every American would agree that special interest groups, foreign governments, big companies, all lobby to influence policy. So it would actually be odd for the Muslim Brotherhood, the largest Islamist organization around the world, to not do the same thing when we know everyone else is doing it. So logically this makes sense, and they also have a lot of sympathizers in the U.S. who are not technically Muslim Brotherhood card-carrying members, but they're ideologically part of the movement. And yes, they use them as a lobby on politicians and the U.S. government. How much money do you think it has has passed hands in order to make some of these policy decisions and and um, who's the head who's the head guru that that's funding all this 
A lot of the money does come from overseas. A lot of it comes from donors within the Muslim American community. Muslim, the Muslim American community is, is rather successful, mm-hmm. and so you have a lot of wealthy donors, uh, some of which are Islamists themselves and, and know darn well what they're doing, and then others who are donating to organizations like CARE, the, the most famous one, uh, without realizing what they're actually doing. And so there's a lot of money coming from inside, a lot of money coming from sources like Gutter and Saudi Arabia. In one case, CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations, apparently took money from the Iranian government. Uh, so there's a lot of money going around that we know about, not even including that which has been hidden. And they use this to buy political influence. And the end result is that you even have Muslim Brotherhood sympathizers uh, that are advisors to the Department of Homeland Security, which is one of the other big stories we've broken at the clarionproject.org website. Stand by, Ryan. You and I have got to take a commercial break. Great talking to you. Thanks very much for joining us. And Dexo Nation, if you'd like more information, do yourself a favor. Pass this website around to everybody you know. Clarionproject.org. Ryan Morrow is my guest. He is the National Security Analyst uh, for Clarion Project. And their website, once again, is www.clarionproject.org. Strange days, strange times. My name is Rob McConnell. This is The Exxon. We'll be back. Don't go away. Each new extreme weather event or terrorist act, it becomes increasingly obvious that we live in uncertain and challenging times. We all buy car insurance. Why not collapse and catastrophe insurance? Matthew Stein, an MIT-trained engineer and green builder, has written two outstanding books to help people prepare, plan for, and deal with everything from minor situations lasting a few days to full-on collapse. Matt's first book, When Technology Fails, is a manual for self-reliance, sustainable living, and surviving the long emergency. This massive book covers the gamut from first aid and emergency preparedness to alternative healing, renewable energy, primitive living skills, and 18th century technologies that could be critical to your comfort and survival in a long-lasting crisis. Matt's second book, When Disaster Strikes, is a comprehensive emergency preparedness handbook and survival guide. When Disaster Strikes is an essential item for every family's go-bag, Both books are available at all usual sources. There's a wealth of totally free information posted at whentechfails.com and author signed copies may be purchased at mattstein.com. That's www.whentechfails.com and www.mattstein.com.
Hi, this is Rob McConnell, just letting you know that the X Chronicles newspaper is now available online at www.xzonebookclub.com. All past editions and current editions of the X Chronicles newspaper are available for 99 cents. That's www.xzonebookclub.com and that's 99 cents U.S. per edition. And don't forget, the X Zone store is now open as well for all of your X Zone Nation merchandise www.thexzonestore.com Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologist Facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. ExoNation, my guest this hour, Ryan Morrow. He is the National Security Analyst for ClarionProject.org. And uh, they produced the hit uh, films Obsession, The Third Jihad, and Iranium. He is a frequent analyst on Fox News Channel and other news outlets around the world. He is also a consultant to government agencies and an adjunct professor. Once again, their website is www.clarionproject.org. Tell our listeners about your newsletter that they can sign up for on your site. Sure. If you're interested in knowing what, more about what we've been talking about, uh, go to clarionproject.org. We have a weekly newsletter that you can sign up for, and you can get all of our stories uh, since the website's updated daily, uh, but you can get them all mm-hmm. compiled in once uh, every week. And the one thing I can guarantee is that every single time you open up that newsletter, you're going to see several articles uh, covering important stories, and you're going to say, I can't believe I didn't see that on the news. And we go much deeper than the 30-second news culture uh, that we're currently exposed to and is dumbing down the country. Is the media brainwashing us? Not on purpose. And and the bottom line is the media is giving us what we want. They're businesses. So Americans nowadays want quick news in three-minute segments maximum. They're very superficial, and, and that's it. Um, and so we're the ones responsible for that um, because they're just responding, responding to our wants. And a really good example of a story that I can't believe didn't get media attention, and it infuriates me every time I think about it. Most people don't know that a terrorist attack happened this summer in the United States killing four people. There was a radical Muslim that murdered two gay people in Seattle, or near Seattle, just for being gay, including one that had a Muslim-sounding name. 
murdered another person, came over to New Jersey and murdered another person, and was arrested. When he was arrested, he said the reason he carried out those murders was because it was an act of jihad against the United States. I teach on an adjunct level uh, counterterrorism. And by every definition that my class uses of terrorism, this case fits that. Yet virtually no one knows that this terrorist attack happened, and the death toll matches the death toll of the Boston Marathon bombing. But because it wasn't bombs going off, and because there was some space in between the murders, uh, no one knows about it. Wow. It's amazing. It, it truly is. It truly is. Any of the uh, any of the other killings in the United States that may have been thought to be random acts of violence, have, were they investigated in the same light that this could have been a terrorist act? The problem is with the definition of terrorism. Uh, this case I just described is unequivocally an act of terrorism. No one can argue about it. But there are also radical Islamic hate crimes. Uh, there was someone in Seattle that tried to burn down a gay nightclub earlier this year. That's an act of terrorism, technically, but it was treated by the media and the authorities as an act of attempted arson, because that was the charge. It's harder to prove that's an act of terrorism, but you can prove that's an act of arson. Um, we've documented a lot about the abuse of women around the world, including here in the United States, by radical Muslims. Those are radical Muslim hate crimes coming from the same ideology that terrorists act upon. Uh, but they're treated as individual acts of domestic abuse or murder. Wow. And so we're not seeing the full spectrum of what's actually going on. If a jihadist decides to kill a woman for becoming too Western, it's treated as a murder and not as an act of terrorism. If you set off a bomb, it's treated as an act of terrorism. It's a very superficial distinction to make. Ryan, as usual, time goes by so fast when you're with us. I want to thank you so much for joining us. A pleasure talking to you. And uh, please, anytime we can help you or the Clarion Project, let me know. We'll get you on air as soon as we can. Thank you so much. It's my great pleasure. Once again, ExoNation, www.clarionproject.org. Go to the site and sign up for their newsletter. I'll be back on the other side of this news break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> 